This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. to the, the new series that we just began last week, which is called Living Hope. A song talked about letting hope rise because Jesus has, has risen. And so we, we began our journey through First Peter last Sunday. And we talked about the fact that really First Peter has the overriding theme of hope. And so as we walk through this book during the month of May and, and throughout the summer, we're going to be looking at different dimensions of, of the hope that we have in Christ. And so today, we're talking about hope in the midst of trials. All of us walk through trials, troubles, difficulties, times of pain in our lives. It's part of doing life in a world that is broken. And there's a brokenness within us as well. We can look around the world and we see brokenness. And we can, can look sometimes in our own lives and we can see that brokenness. And we walk through times of fiery trials. So how do we have hope in the midst of trials? It's really what verses 6 through 9 are all about in 1 Peter 1. So find that in your copy of, of, of God's Word, and let's look at that together. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to, to look at verses 6 through 9. I'm going to make reference back to uh, the previous verses as well, so we can kind of see the whole, the whole uh, paragraph in, 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 in one flow. But we're going to look especially at verses 6 through 9. Nine. So Peter says there, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would take your word now and that you would help us to understand it and that you would help us to apply it. Father, we pray for power of your spirit to open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things in your word today. Things that we could never get on our own, but, but by the power of the spirit, by the illuminating, enlightening power of the spirit, that, that we would, would see fresh truth, the riches of your word, and that you would give us something incredibly deep that we can cling to when the storms come, as they surely will. And, and Lord, I'm aware that um, in a crowd this size, that there are all kinds of trials 
that are happening now, right now, just things that people are dealing with in their lives. Lord, as we see in this text, there are various kinds of, of trials. They come in all shapes and sizes. And Lord, I know there are many who are hurting today that are in this room that are walking through deep difficulties. And so, Father, we, we pray that your word would be a word of hope and encouragement for, for them today. And, Lord, if we're not walking through a trial today, we, we will be soon. It's just part of life in a, in a fallen world. And so, Lord, would you show us principles today that can provide an anchor for our souls as we, as we walk through those times. Lord, give us hope in the midst of trials. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's Mother's Day, and, and one of the most famous mothers in church history was named Monica. She was the mother of Augustine, who was arguably the most important theologian since the Apostle Paul. But for the first 30 years of his life, Augustine was not a Christian. But he had something that was massively huge in his favor. And that is that Augustine had a praying mom. His mother loved the Lord and she loved her son. And she prayed faithfully and fervently for God to save her son. In fact, uh, later on, after he became a Christian, Augustine wrote this about his mother. He said of his mother, Monica, she shed more tears over my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of, her son, of a son. At one time, Monica was just so deeply burdened about her son's lost condition that she went and talked with her with her pastor, and she just poured out her, her heart, and, and her pastor could just see this mom's incredible burden and the grief that she had for the soul of her son who was lost. And as he saw the tears roll down her, her face, Monica's pastor looked to her, and she said, she, he said to, to Monica, just pray to God for him. He will discover his mistakes it cannot be that the son of these tears should be lost. <laughs> In other words, her pastor was saying, if this guy's got a mom who loves him this much and who is praying this fervently and this faithfully for her son to be saved, I just believe he's not going to remain lost. And he did not remain lost. God saved Augustine and imagine the incredible joy that Monica had when God saved her, her son. But that story is kind of a, a good lead-in to this text because this text is telling us that for the Christian, joy is coming, but it comes through a lot of tears. A lot of tears, a lot of trials in this life. In fact, during this life, if we know the Lord, we can get a foretaste 
of the joy that we're going to experience forever one day, but, but even then, our, our laughter is often mingled with tears. And so the question is, how do we have hope in the midst of trials? And when we talk about the hope that we have in Jesus, that's tightly bound to joy. In fact, you often see hope and joy within the same sentence in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans 15 and verse 13, the Bible says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, how can we have hopeful joy in the midst of trials? We see an answer to that in this text. How can we have joyful hope in the midst of trials? Well, first of all, uh, we can take joy in our salvation. Joy in our salvation. So, um, if you're here as a Christian, if you're here as one who has repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, then listen, you may have all kinds of trials in your life. I mean, you may be dealing with all kinds of problems and all kinds of challenges. You may be dealing with all kinds of heavy burdens. But, but listen, the, the, the truth that outweighs all of that is that, as we sung earlier, Christ is risen from the dead. And so, because you know him, he died for sinners like you and me, he rose from the dead, he has adopted you as his own, like that reality, the reality of your salvation trumps everything else, including any difficulties that you walk through in this life. The greatest reality for all of us, if we know the Lord, is that we are his. And so, let's look at what Peter says here to us, beginning in verse 6. He says, you rejoice in this. So what is the this that Peter is referring to here? The this is the stuff that we saw last week, especially in verses 3 through 5. So let's, let's go back and look in your Bibles at verses 3 through 5, and let's just kind of review our, our text from last week, because Peter begins the body of his letter with this, this incredible sort of explosion of blessing. In fact, in Greek, verses 3 through 12 are one sentence. <laughs> it's like Peter is so full of what he's expressing here that he, he just can't stop. Let's check out um, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, so what do we see here? in verses three through five, about what we have been given in our salvation. Because what does Peter tell us at the beginning of verse six? He says, you rejoice in this. 
the this that we, are, that we can rejoice in is the reality of the salvation that he's unpacking in verses 3 through 5. So what do we see in verses 3 through 5 that we have been given in our salvation? Well, we've been given new birth, first of all, verse, verse, uh, verse 3. He says that he has given us new birth into a living hope. So to, to experience a new birth, to be born again, means that not only are our sins wiped away, but the perfect righteousness of our Savior has been credited to our account. It means that we have been adopted as beloved sons and daughters of the King, and that we have a new identity in Christ. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So we have been given new birth. We can rejoice in that. Second, we have been given this incredible inheritance. Check out what he says here in in verse 4. He says that we've been brought into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So as believers, we have been given this glorious inheritance that we talked about last week. This inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for us. It is secure. It cannot be touched. And listen, it is right around the corner for all of us. This is not far off. It is an inheritance that has already been given to us, and it's just waiting for us to take possession of it, right? And it's not going to be, it's not going to be long, right? (laughs) John Newton, uh, who wrote Amazing Grace and and other great hymns, also a a pastor, and one time uh, Newton gave the this illustration. He was talking about how we can tend to complain about our, our trials and, and, and that kind of a thing and, and, and worry and fret when we've got this incredible inheritance that we're just, we're just about to take possession of. And so Newton said this. He said, suppose, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. (laughs) What do you care about your broken carriage? You're, 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 You're just a mile away from this incredible inheritance. And see... Newton is saying there, like, why, why do we, when we've got like this, this inheritance, which is infinitely greater than any earthly inheritance that we could get, even if you know, Bill Gates or somebody was our father, listen, we have got an inheritance so much greater than any of that that is already ours. It's just like waiting for us to take possession of it. It's not going to be long 
how, why, why do we spend time just worrying and fretting and you know, complaining, you know, or why do we tend to cling so tightly to money and possessions? I mean, why not give that generously? But when, when we've got, we're just right about to take possession of this incredible inheritance beyond any kind of earthly treasure or inheritance that you could possibly imagine. So we've been given new birth. We've got a glorious inheritance. Third, final rescue. Final rescue. Look at what he says in in verse five. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now remember we talked last week about the fact that as believers, we already have salvation but yet salvation in the ultimate sense that Peter is talking about here in verse five is when Christ returns and, we are, and when we are glorified, when we are raised with, with glorified bodies. So on that day when Jesus returns, whether you're living or whether you've already passed away as a believer, you are going to be raised with an imperishable, glorified, physical body. Oh, what a great praise. You know, just this week, visiting some people from our church in the hospital, just kind of walking through the, the, the ravages of, of the aging process and just some of the things that, that come along with that. The, these bodies that we live in now are perishable, aren't they? Frail, subject just to all kinds of, 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 of disease and illness and just so many things that can go wrong at any time with our with our bodies, with these perishable bodies. You know, and if there were no ultimate resurrection, then what we sang earlier would not be completely true because death would have somewhat of a victory. You know, if, if, our, if, if the ultimate future for us was to, to live as sort of disembodied souls, then, then death would, would have somewhat of a victory. It would be able to rob us of something. But it can't take anything away from us. It can't rob us of anything. Why? Because we're, because we're going to be raised with, with glorified bodies that are going to be physical in every sense, except they're not going to be like the physical bodies that we have now that are subject to aging or to illness or disease and that are subject to sin and death. No, we're going to be raised with bodies that aren't going to be subject to any of those things. No, no illness, no dementia, no cancer, no aging, no tragic uh, accidents that can maim bodies. None of, and, and most of all, most glorious, no sin, no death. Can we rejoice in that? Can we rejoice in that? So listen, that's what he's saying here at the beginning of verse six. You rejoice in this. The this that he's talking about are the realities of our salvation and what comes with that that we see in verses three through five. New birth, an inheritance, and just final salvation, the resurrection of the body. So we can take joy in our salvation. Second, we experience joy mingled with trials. Joy mingled with trials. Now listen, there's a stream of false teaching 
that is out there that, you know, if you come to know Christ, your trials are over. Your trials are over, right? You can just say, this is your best life now. Well, let me tell you, your best life's not now. <laughs> it's not now, right? Your best life is the one that's coming in a new heaven and earth. That's not now. In this life, our joy is often going to be strangely mingled with trials. And see, we need to be honest about that. We need to be upfront about that. Um, we're not exempt from painful trials in this life as believers. And the Bible is so clear about that. I mean, look at what Paul says about uh, his, his life and the, the lives of he, of he and his fellow apostles in 2 Corinthians 6 and verses 4 and following. He says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Notice what Paul says here about our lives as believers here on this, this earth. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And see, that's what Peter is seeking to get across. First Peter is written to a group of, of, of suffering Christians this group of Christians in what we now know as Turkey is suffering, intensely suffering because of their, their faith as, as Paul and his apostolic colleagues did. But what Paul is saying here is that, that even, even during times of suffering that there's a deep well of joy, and, and, and he made room in his theology for both of these things to coexist at the same time. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So um, let's, let's look here at verses five and six again in 1 Peter 1. He says, you're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So let's talk about trials. Let's talk about God's purpose in trials. So what do we see here, particularly in verses 6 and 7? What do verses 6 and 7 teach us about trials? First of all, they're various. They are various. Look at verse six. He says, you suffer grief in various trials. <laughs> in the New International Version, it translates that as all kinds of trials. Well, if you've lived life for any length of time on this earth, you can say amen to that. There are all kinds of trials, right? I mean, they come in a variety pack. <laughs> all shapes and sizes. Various. And so trials are various. Second, 
They produce suffering and grief. Peter says here in verse 6, you suffer grief in various trials. Remember last week we talked about the fact that, that First Peter is like a travel guide for exiles. You remember he, he, he says this, this letter is addressed to the chosen exiles. That's us, right? We're the elect exiles. And so First Peter is like a travel guide for, for, for pilgrims, sojourners, <laughs> aliens like us who are far from our home. And, and one of the things that we see about our life as exiles is that we walk through trials and that these trials produce suffering and, and, and grief. It's, it's real. And the Bible is very upfront about that. But what it's also upfront about is that we have a risen Savior who triumphs and who reigns over all. And so what does Jesus say in John 16, 33? He says, in this world, you will what? You will suffer tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Fourth, uh, third, we see about trials is that they're temporary. They're temporary. Um, verse six, again, he says, you rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. These trials that we walk through on this earth will not last. They will not last. In fact, when they're seen in the light of eternity, they last a very short time. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says there, for our momentary light affliction." is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Now Paul there is not trying to minimize the pain of trials. M many trials on this earth are intensely painful. He's not trying to minimize that by calling them um, light. What he means though is that if you were to take all of the pain from all of the trials, if you were to take all the pain from every trial in your life and you could just heap it up compared to the glory of eternity that is coming for the believer, all of those trials put together are gonna seem so light. And when he talks about the fact that, that, they're, mom that they're momentary, he doesn't mean that, that our earthly trials will all just last for, you know, a day or two. They might last for decades. They might last for a lifetime. But see, even if they were to last a lifetime, what is that compared to forever and ever and ever that we have with the glory that is coming. See, compared to eternity, even if they last a lifetime, that's like a drop in the bucket, right? So these trials are not going to last, and they're going to be absolutely overwhelmed by the glory that will be ours forever in, in Christ. Fourth, uh, trials are painful gifts that refine us. 
Trials are painful gifts that refine us. So remember what God's ultimate purpose is in, in your life. Hey, is God's ultimate purpose in your life to, for you to be pain-free? No. <laughs> no, his ultimate purpose in all of our lives in this life is to do what? Romans 8.29 tells us, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. And so God is in the business of making us more like Christ. And one of the ways that he does that is through our trials. Because see, listen, when, when all the circumstances in our lives are just kind of breaking our way, then we can coast, right? It's easy to get complacent. But when trials come, it drives us to our knees. It drives us deeper into the presence of God. Where David says in Psalm 16, there's fullness of joy. So, so trials become painful gifts that refine us, which is what James is talking about in the first chapter of James and verses two through four. Uh, James uh, says here, to consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The third thing that we see here in, in the text that enables us to have hope in the midst of trials is that we can have joy in our relationship with Christ. Joy in our relationship with Christ. Let's check out verses eight and nine. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These verses, in particular verse eight, it's hard to understand if you're not a, if you're not a believer it's hard to understand this, but if you, if you are in Christ, if you know him, you, you know what Peter is talking about here. You know what he's talking about in verse eight when he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. You know what it's like to love Christ because you know what it's like to be loved by Christ. And we love because he first loved us. And so if you've experienced his love for you in the gospel, then you know what it's like to love him. And you love him with your affections from your heart. You love him. But if you don't yet have a relationship with him, it's hard to really relate to the language here. The great theologian and pastor Jonathan Edwards once said that I could try to describe what honey tastes like to you, <laughs> but you'll never, I won't be able to do that. You have to like taste, you have to taste honey, right? And it's that way with the Lord. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? It's almost like you have to enter into that relationship and understand how much he loves you. It's like you have to have your eyes open to the reality 
of what Jesus has done for you and how much he loves you. And then the reflexive response of your heart is that you love him. And it's a relationship. It's a love relationship. And Peter knows that these suffering believers in what is now Turkey have tasted of that relationship in spite of all of their suffering in spite of everything they were going through, and they were walking through some things that would be hard for us to even understand. But in spite of all of that, all of that suffering and pain, Peter knew that they knew a deep, deep joy because of their relationship with the Lord. This is a picture of a, of a family, and in a way, they are our family. They are our family, because they're our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Uh, but this is a Sri Lankan family. And um, the, the dad, Ramesh, who is now uh, with the Lord. The mom is Krishanthini, and then the daughter is Rukshika, age 14, son is Nirubhan, age 12. So this family was at church in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday. And, um, and so they had, they had gathered there. The mom teaches kids Sunday school, and so she had taught her class. And then in between uh, Sunday school and, and, the, and, uh, and the worship service, she took them out into a courtyard, and they were having some snacks before the service and, and so forth. The, the, the husband and dad, Ramesh, uh, saw a guy walking around who looked like he didn't belong. And he, he had on like a large backpack. And so uh, Ramesh went up to him and he said, hey, you know, what's, what's going on? And the guy tried to say, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got, it's camera equipment and I'm going to be videotaping the, the service. Well, uh, Ramesh wasn't wasn't buying it, you know, he could see this guy was perspiring heavily and, you know, he just sensed this is, this is not right. And so uh, the, he, the guy wanted to go into the sanctuary where hundreds of people uh, were gathering. And so uh, Ramesh blocked him, prevented him from doing that. And at that moment, uh, the suicide bomber uh, flicked his switch, um, which uh, took, took Ramesh's life instantly. But uh, Hundreds more, including his own family, were, uh, were spared. Had, had the bomber gone into the sanctuary, the, the casualties would have been quadruple what they were. But <clears throat> what struck me was an interview that the BBC did with uh, Christian Sheeney, the, this, this wife, this mother that's pictured here, who, who lost, her, lost her husband um, and she had already been through so much in her life. Sri Lanka went through a civil war, and so this woman was orphaned. At a, at a young age, she, she, her own mother's throat was slit. Her father died under mysterious circumstances um, in that war. So she had already known incredible uh, suffering, and, but you know, she had, this, had you know, married godly man, and they're raising Christian, Christian family together and and now the husband is taken through through this violence and so in this particular interview uh, she was 
she was talking about, you know, their life together, talking about just her life with Ramesh, you know, her, her life partner and, and all the things that they had shared. And she began to weep. But then, through her tears, the words that were coming out of this woman's mouth were, I love my Jesus. I love my Jesus. It's like she knew that the ultimate relationship, the ultimate love relationship that our souls cry out for is a love relationship with our creator through his son. You know, we talked, we talked at the beginning of this message about Augustine. One of the same famous sayings is, our hearts are restless, O God, until we find our rest in thee. This is a day when we think about relationships. We think about family uh, relationships. We think about uh, motherhood, you know, and, and we should celebrate that and, and honor that, and that is wonderful. But, you know, too often, moms and dads can, can look for ultimate fulfillment through our children. That's, that's not right. <laughs> That's not right. They, those, they, those kids can't provide that. Uh, sometimes we can, we can look for ultimate fulfillment in life through a spouse. But they can't do it either. We live in a culture where everybody's looking for a spouse to complete them. There's no other person that can do that. Sometimes if we, you know, if we maybe are single or if we don't have kids, maybe we think, oh, you know, if this, if this could happen, if I became a parent, that, you know, that would be the answer. That would be the completion. No, no, it can't do it. It can't do it. No, the only relationship that can satisfy our souls is a relationship with Christ. That's what we see here in verse eight. It's that relationship with Jesus that, that nothing can take away that provides the ultimate joy the only thing that will ultimately satisfy is found in him and he invites you into that relationship today let's pray and so Father we thank you for what has been given to us in Christ. Now, we have so many riches in, in Christ that our, we need our eyes just open to. <laughs> Lord, so many times we, we feel like in the Christian life we need to grope for something else, but in reality, what we need is to have our eyes open to what we have already been given. Because if we, if we know you, just the, the reality of what we've been given in our salvation just overrides everything else in life, including trials. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who, who doesn't yet know you, Lord, who, who doesn't yet understand what it is to have that kind of relationship of love with their creator. Father, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would open Open their eye, open the eyes of their hearts, Lord, to just see who Jesus is, 
see the reality of his love, Lord, that they would open up uh, their heart and just experience that, experience that fellowship with you. And so, Lord, we, um, we pray that you work in our lives even, even now um, as, we, um, as we think about the fact that, that Christ is our cornerstone, that the weak are made strong in the Savior's love. And Lord, even, even as I know many here are walking through trials and maybe, uh, I pray, Father, that they would, you would give us the grace to exchange our weakness for your strength and the re- reality of your great love. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.